So I have a question for you and tell me if this sounds or looks familiar. You have an employee that comes to you day in and day out. They are positive. They talk a good game. And then when it comes to delivering, they don't. They're late and they apologize. And they come back and they say, well, I'm going to do a better job next time. I am fully on board. And then again, repeat, they don't deliver. And so I bring this up, this topic of trust, when what one says versus the behaviors they exhibit, and there's an inconsistency, that creates a situation of distrust. And organizations have examples of this through and through. But the work that Dave does, that we're going to about to share the conversation with you about trust and the leading indicators of trust, his work and his company It's incredible what they do, and there's so much insight that I think you're really, really going to enjoy his thought leadership around trust and what it can do for you personally, as well as the organizations that you lead or work in. Let's listen. Bottom line, let's so let's talk about this for a second because before we get into how we build trust, that framework that is critical and somewhat surprising, we had parts of it are you won't be surprised by. A big shift of thinking for me was. What it is, you know, is the actual impact of trust. Like, you know, I was at least at first kind of looking at what is, there's something here on trust, but what is unique about the most successful leaders and organizations? And it kind of kept coming back as trust. And I kept seeing, oh, the leading indicator is trust. Everything else lags. So let's just take this. You think you have a leadership issue. You never do. The only reason I follow a leader or not is trust. I got friends I like a lot. I wouldn't go into business with them in a million years. I don't, because I don't trust them. People say we buy from people we like. Well, like is part of it, but it's nothing compared to trust. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, my name is Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I want to thank you for joining me again on another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast where I speak to amazing leaders and they share their insights with you. Please subscribe, rate, and review my podcast so we can continue to bring you great programming. And I'd also like to make you this offer, The CEO's Compass, my eight-point approach to getting business leaders back on track who are going through rapid change. For more information on my consulting services, please reach out to me at dropinceo.com and let's start a conversation. And now I'm honored to share the mic with my fantastic guest, David Horsiger. Welcome to the show. I can't wait to have this interview with you. Thank you. So just a little bit about David here. He is the CEO of Trust Edge Leadership Institute and a global authority on helping leaders and organizations become the most trusted in their industry. He is inventor of the Enterprise Trust Index, director of the annual study, The Trust Outlook, and national best-selling author of The Trust Edge. With clients ranging from Fortune 100 companies to professional sports teams and global governments, David has taken the platform across the United States and on six continents. And the reason why I wanted to bring you on the show, the issue of trust at a time when relationship building and building that strong foundation is so important more now than ever. 
I cannot wait to bring this conversation about trust to my listeners. So Dave, I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself personally, your journey, and how you've arrived at the work that you're doing now. Well, thank you. I believe I arrived at, it's been a journey of over 20 years, really, it's probably been a life journey, but my life work around trust has been something I am passionate about. I believe trust affects the bottom line more than anything else. I believe it's always the leading indicator. But if you go back, you know, in my history, I was the youngest of six kids, grew up on a farm in north central Minnesota. And uh, I was fortunate to work under the greatest leader of all time, my dad and my mom. And that was uh, a treat. Everybody loved to work on his farm because of the leadership he showed. I wondered why and asked some questions around that. And then I had, you know, had to work under other leaders uh, as I grew on and noticed the difference. But basically, I had been director of a youth and family organization and out of college uh, on staff and then director. Moved back to Minnesota. I have to tell my kids back in the 1900s, I started our first company with $1.40 to our name, lived in, in the basement of an older lady's home, 86-year-old Clara Miller, black mold on the walls, no bathroom, kitchen, or windows. That's where we lived for two years while I started really this work and our future work, led to my graduate work and trust. That's when I started really fanning the flame and really seeing trust the real issue. At first, I can still remember where I was, and I thought, they think it's a leadership issue. It's not. It's a, that's a trust issue. And then they think that's a sales issue. And oh, that's not. It's a trust issue. And and that led to my grad work. And then that led to, you know, the first book became a Wall Street Journal bestseller in spite of me and then some other stuff. And then we started using it in companies and it actually worked. We saw attrition drive down by millions. We saw a Fortune 50 company gain 10% market share in one year. And they gave credit to using this work. We saw pro sports teams and college sports teams. One coach said in a season using this, we went from three and seven to seven and three regular season because of what he used around the trust work. And so we saw results and now it's been, you know, revalidated by outside universities as the framework for which trust is built and all that. But probably in a simple answer, why am I so passionate about this? It changed me. It changed my leadership. It changed everything from bribery issues in East Africa to pro sports teams to companies. And really it changed the way I parent. It's changed the way I am as a husband. It changed the way I am as a friend. And so I'm passionate about this work because it can change organizations and individuals. And and that's uh, now I've got you know, four kids of my own, and, and that's a journey on its own. One headed to college, 12, 14, 16, 18. So I'm very, very passionate. I think without ego, but a whole lot of research and work on six continents, I believe you can solve every organizational and leadership issue against this trust framework. It doesn't mean I believe it's easy or I know how to do it. I just believe this gives the language for the real problem. And most people are not solving the root issue. So I can't wait to dive into the eight pillars of trust and really go deeper into why this works. But let me just take you a little bit back to the farm. Mom and dad, six kids. Who was the CEO and who was the COO of that farm there? I'm curious. <laughs> well, you know, I always say you can't have more than one leader, right? Co-leadership, I and mean, we've heard this before, co-leadership doesn't work. Collaborative leadership works. The only way to, you got to collaborate, collaborate, but you have to have, it's just the data even says you can't have more than one person responsible for a specific thing, or it doesn't have accountability and real leadership. But I will say my parents were co-leaders in that, but very different roles. And they had, you might say, some people would look at it as traditional, but they were very much leaders of a space and they worked together well in that and respected each other well in that, loved each other well in that. Dad's 91 and a half right now. Mom's just behind him. And they still are right up there on the 1,500 acres I grew up on and running the farm and, and living healthy. And uh, it's pretty amazing to see. But they definitely had roles. And I think this speaks to leaders. We all want to 
in this new age, we want to share everything. We want to connect everything. And frankly, one of the pillars of trust is connection and collaboration. But you have to have clear roles of leadership. You cannot even have anywhere you see people have co-CEO roles that are healthy. They, in fact, have different roles. You can't share the same role and have it be healthy. And so my dad certainly had the domain of the farm and hiring and all that. But mom was equally respected that she ran a business and she uh, ran the home front in a certain way. And yet they communicated a lot on how to raise this. I could hear them talking at night when they went to bed and I couldn't hear what they were saying, but I could hear them talking about how they were discussing what you could call it. We'd call it in business, same page meetings. I think they had them every night, you know, same page, being on the same page about whether how they were going to discipline a kid or if they were going to buy a new combine. Speaking about discipline, our children also, we co-manage our household. And if the kids try it on one parent and they say no, they know not to go to the other one because they know we're aligned and united. Yeah, that's good. (laughs) Let's just bring that forward. So living that lifestyle, seeing your parents collaborate on raising the family and the farm. What behavior or what characteristic do you model and bring forward from that experience, that very full life on the farm? I (laughs) I wish I was better at it. You know, I, I really am grateful for my dad and how he lived out his character in life. I believe in the health of work. We often say here, you got to do the work. And, you know, on, on the farm, you'd say, hey, that pile of stuff doesn't shovel itself. Those hay bales don't bale themselves and the corn doesn't cultivate itself. You got to do the work. There's a lot of misnomers in business. A lot of people wanting instant gratification or wanting a quick thing or even Books have been written on, you can change a habit in 21 days, when actually the research, you go back to uh, that cybernetics work, which was misread and misunderstood in 1950s and then the book uh, in 1960, it really, that isn't what it said. And, you know, oh, you can change a habit in 21 days. Yes, you can get it to, to crack in 21 days, but basically a habit, generally a leadership habit or a life habit isn't something that changes so quickly, and it takes a whole lot of work. And now the thing is, it's work that's worth it, but it's work. And so people that just want to, I've had people going, oh, we got these big trust issues. You know, here you go, you get five minutes. Well, that's, you got to be ready to do the work. Now there's no better work. There's nothing that'll affect the bottom line more, efficiency more, effectiveness more, customer loyalty more, but you got to be ready to do the work. So one idea at least, and there are many, but one idea from the farm that I'm passing on to the kids, we live in a hobby farm now. And part of the reason we're in a hobby farm is uh, kids are part of the gardening. They're part of the, you know, raising some animals. They're part of seeing life and death, frankly. And, and there's some been some real health to that, I think. So baby lambs have died right in front of them, right when they're coming out of the womb. And that has had some big tears happen, but some help of the reality of the work maybe isn't always fruitful, even though you gave it everything you could or this or that. So there's a little bit, you know, of that glimpse happening. So we bring this forward, hard work, trust, You would think trust, it's easy. But before we go into the the details of it, because we're going to spend most of our time there, what brought you to a place in graduate school to wanting to study trust? Was there anything in your background that led you to say of of mistrust? Or was there something that compelled you to go deeply into this work? Well, I think two things, and I kind of shared them already. I wasn't one that had the mistrust, the toxically, you know, I've been an adjunct professor. And for a time, I had to oversee a piece of research every year. And I remember overseeing this one on toxic leadership. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And I think you can learn from the bad, certainly. 
But I actually feel like I learned much of mine at first, at least from the good. Now I get thrown into some immensely difficult situations, whether it's corruption issues or whatever, you know, but basically I think actually it is tying back to seeing my dad. And uh, if you ever, if you want to see a really cool video, look up the Playboy story. I think it's under on YouTube, how he said no to things that other people wouldn't and just how his character, how he lived it out on stage and off stage. We say on stage and off stage where, you know, a farmer doesn't necessarily have a stage, but when you're in front of people and when you're in the dark, and I think that had an immense impact on me seeing success from how someone lives in a trustworthy way. This is the problem with this work, right? You can appear trusted for a time by faux building these pillars we're going to talk about. But what we're really going for is actually trustworthiness. And when I am trustworthy, I gain this immense competitive advantage because this is authentic. Now, I'm not perfect. I, I'm not perfect in any of the things I'm going to talk about today, any of these the eight pillars. But when we seek to live them out authentically, we gain this advantage we call trust edge. But it's the greatest advantage you can have in a marketing piece, in a leadership piece, you know, anything else. And so now the thing for me on the grad work was I had this little epiphany ahead of going to grad school that was around trust. So actually, I didn't wait like many people tell my dissertation to do it on trust. Every paper I could possibly write throughout the whole years that had a bend toward trust, if it could. By the way, back then, Deb, you didn't have many people that now there's all kinds of people talking about trust and Forbes made trust the business for the year and great place to work throughout engagement, put trust the number one metric and you know trust has become a hot thing of books and all these things. When I was looking at it first, there was very little research at all on trust and leadership, trust and business. You know, there was psychology, Oprah, this, but as far as business and leadership, very little that's changed. And I think for the good, but um, you know, it's been, you know, paving the way in certain, certain ways. All right. That's fantastic. And, you know, I'd love to go into the topic of trustworthy, but we're going to go into the eight pillars real soon. Trustworthiness is really interesting because I was my background and how I serve CEOs is in quality, continuous improvement, certification so that we can have customers trust brands and trust the quality of what we deliver to them. And I'll go in and do that work. But those clients will repeat business with me and ask me to, can you develop an environmental health and safety system? I'll figure it out, but they trust me right. because I took well, care of them one, two, and three times. They'll trust me with the rest of the work. Bottom line, before, there's the impact. Bottom line, let's so let's talk about this for a second because before we get into how we build trust, that framework that is critical and somewhat surprising, parts of it are you won't be surprised by. A big shift of thinking for me was what it is, is the actual impact of trust. Like I was at first kind of looking at what is, there's something here on trust, but what is unique about the most successful leaders and organizations? And it kind of kept coming back as trust. And I kept seeing, oh, the leading indicator is trust. Everything else lags. Let's just take this. You think you have a leadership issue. You never do. The only reason I follow a leader or not is trust. I got friends I like a lot. I wouldn't go into business with them in a million years. I don't, because I don't trust them. People say we buy from people we like. Well, like is part of it, but it's nothing compared to trust. The reason I buy always has something to do with trust. In fact, I might buy from someone I do not like because I trust the product they're selling and that's the most efficient reason for me to buy. It's always a trust issue, not a like issue. If, if I'm going to amplify a marketing message, there is only one way. I have to increase trust in the message. If I'm going to deal with learning environment in the schools, there's only one way to do it. The only way to get more learning in a school is to increase trust either in the teacher, the environment, psychological safety, or the content. The diversity issues of our day, there's only one way to deal with them. In fact, the big, I put it, the study in the first book, The Trusted, uh, back a decade ago, diversity on its own pits people against each other, the data showed. 
unless you increase trust. That is your way toward the benefits, which are many. Of the diversity. Of diversity, right? You can't just say, I want more diversity. You have to do it this way. And that's when you get the results you want. And I think the other big important couple things here is you have to understand that trust affects the bottom line more than anything. It affects impact more than anything. So my research showed how when trust went up, sales went up, retention went up, innovation went up, costs went down. I won't give all the research here, but just simply you can think of, okay, lock business. Why do we have a lock business? There's only one reason. I don't trust you. Why I put a lock on anything? So what is the cost then of a lack of trust? Well, in that case, money, I got to pay for the lock. The bigger cost is time. Now I have to open it every time I go through the gate. Massive cost. Or send an email, send a text to someone you trust, Boop, like that. Now send a text to someone you don't trust. What does it cost? Oh, how should I write this? Ooh, I better delete that. Ooh, how are they going to take this? The cost is enormous. So when people see, I guess, three things here, see it as the leading indicator. Trust is always the root issue. Most people aren't solving the root issue. They see that it affects the bottom line. Everything of value is built on trust. And then maybe under this first, before we get into the pillars, it's bigger than you think or more complex than you might think. So as an example, people today think transparency is trust. Just be more transparent. There's data that shows that. However, some of your kids are so transparent on social media, I don't trust them for a second because confidentiality is also trusted. So people have to think bigger about this old, what really is trust? It's not just this. It's not. It takes a long time to build trust. No. 9-11 complete strangers trust each other like that if they're running the same direction. So we have to blow our mind a little bit about this work. I had to, at least in the grad work, and we have to see it for what it is. It affects, it's the root issue. That's the reason I wrote, I know people can't see it, but the trusted leader is people were solving. First of all, the data kept coming back. The number one reason we want to work for an organization ahead of being paid more, ahead of more autonomy, ahead of more fun work environment with a ping pong table was they wanted to work for people they trusted. So people want to either be trusted leaders or they want to work for trusted leaders. So let's take our listeners down a journey of the eight pillars of trust. You've landed on eight of them. I don't know if you maybe just want to touch on a few of the biggest ones or all eight of them, but I am also interested in knowing, is there something that's consistent with organizations that is missing more than the others? Well, those are two different questions. So let's well, let's whip through the eight. Remember, I'm going to say this and you're going to think you got it. Oh, I got it. I can spend a day on each of them, and they're bigger than you might think at first. However, these eight, even though they're denoted by C words, they came out of research funnels. So it's not some motivational eight Cs, but they are also comprehensive. They work together, and they've been, like I said, revalidated by outside universities as the way that trust is built. So I'll, I'll try to whip through them for context, and hopefully people understand, okay, there's a lot more here to apply it. But this is the language. These eight, you get these language, you can solve every leadership and organizational issue against them. So here we go. Number one, and not in an order, uh, they're relatively co-equal, clarity. Number one is clarity. People trust the clear and they mistrust or distrust the ambiguous or the overly complex. Many people have a problem complexifying beyond which is, what is needed and they lose clarity, which loses trust. Number two is compassion. We trust those that actually care beyond themselves. They have a hard time being accountable to someone or really trusting someone I do not believe could care beyond themselves. Care. Number three is character. We trust those that do what's right over what's easy. Um, this makes sense. Everybody would think character would be a part of it. One part of the research here, though, is not just individuals, but organizations can build an organization on character. So a lot of times organizations are incentivized against the character they actually want to build. A sales incentive could actually 
not get them the character they want to have. Number four is competency. We trust those that stay capable and competent. So I might trust Deb. I might trust her to take my kids to the ball game because of her compassion and character. I might not trust Deb to give me a root canal because of competency, right? So if you're leading the same way you were 20 years ago, I don't trust you. If you're selling the way you were 10 years ago, I don't trust you. You've got to stay fresh and relevant and capable. The next pillar is commitment. We trust those that stay committed even in the face of adversity. If you take anybody in history or in your life that's left a legacy, a mom, a dad, a third grade teacher, a Mandela, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Jesus, or Joan of Arc, and you're going to find somebody that's trusted largely because of a commitment beyond themselves, often to death. So we trust those that stay committed. And maybe we'll come back to an idea under that one of how you rebuild trust, because sometimes people ask that. But next pillar is connection. We trust those that are willing to connect and collaborate with others. If you're only about yourself, if you're not willing to connect and collaborate, each of these pillars, by the way, has counter forces, or we, in the Trusted Leader book, I call them symptoms. So if I'm going to go into a company and I see a counter force like siloing or an unwillingness to share a budget here, or we have to have seven printers instead of one because nobody can figure out they're unwilling to connect and collaborate and they're losing because of that. The next pillar is contribution. The key words that came out of this research funnel were results outcomes, performance. So in other words, we trust those that contribute results. I got to get results. You got to get results. This is the work of business. You might be the most compassionate surgeon I ever met. We go in for amputation and you cut off the wrong leg. We got a problem. You've got to contribute the right results, right? And, and so that's a big deal. And finally, we call it the king and queen of the pillars, and that is consistency. Sameness is trusted for good or bad. If you're late all the time, I will in fact trust you to be late. The only way to build a reputation, the only way to build a brand is consistency. So we have frameworks for building whether it's reputations or brands. If I interface with you and you're like this, and this is just the same with moody people, right? If you're happy, sad, mad, cry, woo, stresses me out. I'd rather have an angry curmudgeon every day than someone moody. So anyway, that's the eight pillar framework. And we solve against this massive global corruption issues and corporate issues and pro sports teams issues. But this is the language. These eight pillars are the language. I can talk about how we use them globally and how you have to contextualize, but just so people kind of get what I mean by the importance, it is never an engagement issue. It's one of these that drives engagement. It's never even, someone will say to me, David, what about communication? Isn't it ever a communication issue? Ladies and gentlemen, at the core, it is never a communication issue. Communication is happening all the time. Clear communication is trusted. Unclear communication isn't. That's one of the pillars. Compassionate communication is trusted, where I care about you, that's trust. But hateful communication isn't. So you can run down the list. It's the type. And so all of a sudden, I can solve the real issue, the type of communication or the type of whatever it is, and actually get more of what I actually wanted. So that's a quick glimpse at the framework. So for the listeners, as you hopefully weren't driving a car, we're writing down these eight points or certainly get David's book. For me, if trustworthiness is something that's critical to who you are and your brand, I would like to say I'm grateful that I can probably check most of these, but it's also a good checklist to check yourself with every interaction that you have with people. If it doesn't go right, this can be a great framework to check off and see what didn't go well as uh, was I did I contribute my best to this particular situation? Was I consistent? I was late. I was early. I didn't deliver on time the information I said. 
this is a great checklist to at least align yourself to what your values are and build those relationships and be trustworthy. And just so you know, I think we promised you at trustedleaderbook.com slash Deb, you can get a self-assessment as a leader on these. There's a whole masterclass of 72 videos and whatnot where you can go deeper on some of these, but you also, you can assess yourself against these eight. In fact, in, in the back of the trusted leader is a very simple self-assessment on, so you can look at your company or a team or an individual, but you can kind of take a look at yourself and think, okay, I've got that one, but oh, this part of clarity or this part of consistency. And absolutely we can, you know, I'm not perfect, like I said, at any of them, but it's worth looking at the gaps because you close one of these gaps, you just close something that affects everything. So let's take it to a real situation here. Obviously leaders don't come to you when they don't have trust issues, but what's a story that you can share where a leader realized they had a problem or maybe not, and you arrived at their doorstep working with the leader or the team, what was it that you were able to help them to understand around this topic of trust and bring them to the other side? And what was the impact? Well, there's lots of stories on that, but let me tell you something, something very fascinating, might be interesting to you at least, is that many of the organizations we work with are actually great, the greats that actually don't see a trust issue, that actually understand the effect of trust in the bottom line. Maybe they read a book or they see our annual study, the trust outlook, or or they see, oh, but they want to keep trust in the midst of change or crisis. So they want to, and actually for me, it actually isn't the poisonous. In fact, a lot of the poisonous ones, and I could name one specifically, they spend so much money on image work, but they still aren't dealing with the real issue. Many of them don't come to people like me. They just keep hiding or avoiding. And so Often we deal with great organizations. That's actually, I would say more of our sales are great ones that that see the impact and want ongoing greatness. Certainly we have some poisonous issues and whatnot. I can tell you so many stories. We have six ways we've developed of measuring trust in organizations. Our biggest is the Enterprise Trust Index, which is how we would judge a massive organization and their trust levels that would measure trust and engagement see a gap. So in a company that you would all know, one gap showed something that the chairman of the board and the CEO, they knew was a problem, but basically in a very specific spot across this global organization, a CEO was a board member's son, nephew, something. Okay. Poisonous. All the data showed it was poisonous. That whole place was poisonous. There's issues basically stemming from that leadership. I'm going to a poisonous issue here, but in that case, the data showed it clearly enough that they were able to deal with it and we could help them in how they change this situation. We just fire people, we might coach first or whatever, but in in this case, there had to be a removal and that saved them millions of dollars very quickly. A different case that might be kind of interesting where we, we took a little organization, it's only 600 people, 14 clinics. They had kind of done flavor of the month, flavor of the month stuff for a long time as far as learn, learning, leadership development. And basically, they took this trust work and they said, and, and I came in and I did three days with the senior leadership team. And, I, and then I certified some folks in our work and they trained everybody in the organization over the next nine months in pods of 20. They said within one year, they saved two to four million in attrition costs. They were bleeding attrition. Now, since 2014, that was so seven years later. That organization, you can't go in any one of those clinics and not feel the trust edge culture, the impact, the consistency, the loyalty, and a whole lot of other things. So 
that doesn't get to a specific leader, I guess. But anyway. But it, it shows the power of, in your situation, you have the good fortune of having highly aware leaders. You said something about bringing you in to maintain trust during a significant change or transition. So kudos, and we should all be so lucky to work with leaders that understand that this is so important to their business in order to maintain or grow the bottom line. And culture, but, by the way. The, people want to deal with culture. If they don't deal with trust, they're not dealing with culture. That's what, <laughs> that's what we, we say. We drive high-performing cultures on trust. That's what we're really, that's the heartbeat of what we do. But you don't get high-performing cultures or teams or leaders without trust. To pull back, you don't, organizations don't change, only individuals change, right? So you have to change one to change, change any. So we've been talking about trust at the organizational level throughout an organization. Let's just make it, take it down to a practical sense. Somebody is in a business relationship with somebody else and they don't trust the other person. From a practical perspective, regardless of there is a trusting organization or not, how can one address a one-on-one situation and maybe try to elevate the trust within that interaction? So I'm going to say two things about it. First of all, people will say to me, I want to trust this other person, right? It'd be best. It'd be easiest. Like, let's just take it real personal. Like after an event, when I've been signing books, a lady has come up to me and this guy was terrible to her. And she says, I want to trust him again. I'll tell her, yeah, you should trust him to do exactly what he did last time. I'm not talking about blind trust or not. I'm talking about you should trust people according to what they did. First of all, I'll give you a bias for my work is mostly on how I build trust. When I build trust or my team or my organization, then we become the most effective and great gain this competitive advantage, the trust edge, right? But when I become a trusted leader, I gain a huge advantage as a leader. So my work isn't all that much about changing them, although we have to do that. So let's jump into your scenario. Let's just take a poisonous person or somebody who has an issue and I've got to work with them. I might even have to lead up or whatever. It depends, first of all, right? It depends on a whole lot of things, history, my relationship, my respect level and everything else. But at some point, I have to show them the impact of what they're doing. Because if they don't get, they don't care, they might be toxic, they might be narcissistic, they might be a whole lot of other things. If they don't understand the impact of what they're doing, they're not going to change anything. But if they see, oh, I had no idea that's turning everyone against me. I had no idea that's why we're not going to win the Malcolm Baldridge Award or that's why I'm going to be voted the least popular leader in the world or that word, whatever. I didn't know. And when you show how that affects them, how their ego is going to get slayed or how they're going to you know, lose out, how people are going to, they're not going to keep retention and people are going to blame it on this person, then they have a chance at shifting. Well, then what do I do about it? How do I do it? And then once we give them the case for trust, what the impact is, then we have a chance at change. In the book, once people are there, I start with that, not just the eight-pillar framework, but how do we kickstart trust? It's page 159 in the new book, Trusted Leader. Number one is we got to confront reality. And most people will not confront reality and see the real issue. Then it's identify the root cause, create a common language, which is the eight pillars, and then apply the trust tools. But if I have to help them confront reality, and basically, how do we help people confront reality? Think in terms of what's in it for them. Your reality is going to get worse if you don't see what you're doing and how it's affecting others or your leadership, your possibility of stepping up in the company or, or whatever. 
That is such an actionable technique that you've shared, because if one can identify the impact of a behavior or a situation, that's the risk or the opportunity, and then helping people to find the courage to confront and share with the other individual on the chance they might be successful, elevating that person's awareness, and then just being able to have that conversation, but if nothing else, teaching people to have risks, because if it works out, you've been of service to the other person and you can move forward and you're modeling the right behavior. And I've had massive companies where I was trusted and I've told them the truth and they've loved me more. And I've also had a company where I told them the truth with a leader, the leader of all of North America that was hurting the overall organization and people didn't want to deal with this person until he was retired. And I got thrown under the bus and he absolutely cost them millions and millions and millions of dollars. But it was easier to throw the consultant than listen. And that's the way it goes. Most of the time, it's not that way. But there are times, by the way, when you tell the truth and you have the courage to show the impact and people don't want to admit it, don't want to deal with it and do whatever they can to avoid it. And you have to do what you can do. So Dave, I am so blessed to have had this conversation and the value that I see in these eight pillars of trust and the work that you have and will done are so valuable to my listeners. And I'm grateful that you've given them even actionable tips that a CEO or anybody in business can take with them. Now, I know you have so much to offer, but as we bring this to a close, what else can you share with our listeners and what can you offer them to help them with their trust? I could talk all day about it and I would love to take every problem one at a time. If you want to know where you can find me, trustedge.com or davidhorsehire.com, we have a special gift for you, Deb, for all your listeners, and that's at Trusted Leader Book, not the, just trustedleaderbook.com slash Deb. And we've given our whole Trust Edge Masterclass that used to be hundreds and hundreds of dollars for that, and then the self-assessment, everything is like $1,500 worth of stuff total or something. But basically, anybody that goes through that page because of you, can grab the new book, Trust the Leader, if you'd like, but you also can get these assets like the self-assessment and the masterclass and so forth. And that that would be uh, just welcome for you and your group and your listeners and our friendship and relationship. So there's that. Uh, there's LinkedIn and Trusted Leader Show podcast and other ways that people can watch or connect if they want to know more about what I'm about. But you are about trust and they can go to you and find out. <laughs> so. <laughs> And that's the drop-in CEO brand. It's about being trustworthy. It's about being confident for your clients, as well as serving them with creative solutions. But trust, foundational culture, it's so important. I'm grateful to have had you as a guest for our listeners. Thank you so much. The book is coming out March 30th. So congratulations on that. And also, you've got a podcast as well. How's that going? It's been so fun. So great. Trustedleadershow.com. If you want to come to the podcast, we'd love to have you or sign up or subscribe. I know if you listen to Deb, you might also like it. Uh, There's some really fun ones coming up. I just interviewed the founder of Ritz Carlton. It's an amazing show. And several others at Police Chief of the City of Las Vegas. She is amazing and how she's built trust in the midst of the challenges there. Some really interesting, I mean, I get better every day, right? When I'm around the people we get to be around. So that's fun. Amazing success to you. Thank you so much. You've been a fantastic guest, Dave. Thank you. Appreciate it, Deb. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. 
For more information about our consulting or coaching services, please visit my website at dropinceo.com or visit our Dropin CEO Facebook group to continue the conversation. Now go out, lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.